Mother's Day. I have on the screen here for you and uh, we'll share with you what has become one of the more famous and more highly quoted things that Abraham Lincoln ever said. Abraham Lincoln said, All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. These words were actually spoken about his mother, Nancy Hanks Lincoln, who died when Abraham Lincoln was only nine years of age. And though he knew her for such a short time, it's said that he remembered her for her warm affection and, and her example. And in that short time, she fused a solid foundation for how President Lincoln would treat both sides of the brutal civil war with fairness, without judgment, and in a way that ultimately bridged the gap between the two sides. Lincoln's father remarried a year later to Sarah Bush Johnstone, a widow who had three children. It actually became the epitome of a blended family because she formed the Lincoln household into one strong unit. And her homemaking skills and her ability to organize had a profound effect upon young Lincoln. In fact, Abraham Lincoln often spoke of Nancy's traits, ambition, mental alertness, and power of analysis, and Sarah's ability to love after the loss of his mother, as well as the constant motivation to excel in sports, in school, and in other aspects of life. Those powerful elements combined to form many of the traits that he would be well known for. But you know what? Years before that, George Washington said almost the same thing. All I am I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. Two of our founding presidents and leaders in the early years. But I can flip to the other side too. Well-known minister, Charles Spurgeon, preacher. I cannot tell you how much I owe to the solemn word of my good mother. Today's message is a message still from the book of Nehemiah. But it's a message in which I want to focus on two words. Sacrificing and rejoicing. Because I see in the story that's before us a story about sacrifice and rejoicing on the part of the people. And I think those same two words can be applied as we are thinking about this whole issue today of, of motherhood. We look again to the record of what was in fact meant for the people of God, what it meant for them to, to do God's work in God's way. And here as we come to verse 26, 
excuse me, verse 27 uh, of this 12th chapter of Nehemiah, we come to the dedication of the wall. This section of Scripture begins, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and with lyrics. And once again, Cindy, I'm not going to read all of the lists of the names and what all they did, but go back and read the 12th chapter if you haven't read it already. God's work being done in God's way. And as I thought again about this book of Nehemiah that we've been reading and and studying over the last couple of months now, and we still have two more Sundays that we're going to still be in Nehemiah before we move to Galatians. I, I couldn't help think about how at the very beginning of the story these people faced the issue. And we talked about that a couple of months ago. One of the things that we need to do as a congregation is we need to seriously examine what is the issue that confronts us. And I think in this story of Nehemiah, The broken down walls can very much be very symbolic of the broken downness of the society in which we live. Broken families, broken marriages, separation that has caused divisions. They face the issue. And to do God's work, we have to be able to correctly identify the issue. Some of you remember years ago when all of a sudden a leading congregation developed a puppet ministry. Well then, every church felt like it needed to have a puppet ministry. And in some congregations, which would be the case of us right now, You'd have to have one person with 15 hands to get enough puppets up there for a puppet ministry. The same thing happened with congregations that decided they would have a bell choir. Anybody ever seen a bell choir at one of the churches? These ladies would get up there and each of them would have probably two bells and they would do a song and and each one would play the bell for their note. Beautiful! But again, not something for every congregation. We as a congregation need to face what that issue is for us. What is our broken down wall? And then as we identify what that issue is, just like with Nehemiah chapter 2, we need to begin the work. That's what they talked about, getting busy. Identifying the issue, Nehemiah spent a whole night without anybody knowing what he was doing, surveying, identifying what the issue was. But then once it was decided, they set about to do the work. And in order to do that, in chapter 4, we realized that 
they had to overcome some doubts that they had. One of the things that they say there in chapter 4 verse 10 is there's just too much rubble. And you know what? Sometimes there is a lot of rubble that we have to deal with. That we have to overcome. Man, I remember back the beginning of the summer last year, Mark. Uh, how many days and weeks we spent just getting the rubble out so that the house could be what it is today. And it would have been very easy in that early time, especially looking down into the cellar basement area. It would have been very easy to say, no, no, not this job. There's too much rubble. Sometimes that's where we're at in life, isn't it? We have doubts. Because we're not sure that we can deal with all of the rubble that's there. And then, in the sixth chapter... As the job was going along successful, which it would be the case with us as well, we start to get the corner changed and start having some success and all of a sudden enemies are going to rise up. Young families come in and something happens, one thing or another, and then all of a sudden the enemy wins and they're gone again. And you know what? When we don't understand the real foe, then we fight each other. Think about that. When we don't understand what the real foe is, we still feel that need to strike out. And so we fight each other. And then, way back in chapter 6... Verse 15, they finished the task. 52 days, that's all it took. A big deal made over that fact. 52 days to build the wall. But man, that was six chapters ago. Now, let me pause for just a second to say that let's take all of this story of Nehemiah and let's bring it over to the church for a little bit. Unless this church is drastically different than a lot of churches that I know, there were some periods back in the 40s and and the 20s when had it not been for a good and few faithful women, a lot of doors on churches would have been closed during those time periods. But they faced the issue. They faced the issue and they identified the work that they had to do. Some of them kept the church going as a part of a Sunday school movement. Women's organizations. They faced the issue. They decided what it was they needed to do. And and They overcame some of their doubts that they could do it. I had a friend call not too long ago. And the friend said, what do we do? Our church is dividing. She was quite distraught. And and she realized that a part of the problem was there wasn't any good leadership to help them 
move through and move out of what is this division taking place. And this was a strong congregation just within a a couple years ago. And now what's happening is is really not, it's, it's not decided yet whether it's going to help or even harm the situation more because they're not able to meet together to try to figure out how to overcome the problems that have developed. And so there are groups that are meeting, but it's groups of like minds. Not groups that can work together to overcome the problem. If we're going to be successful, then we've got to figure out what it is that God wants us to do and rely not on our power and our ability, but on God's power and on God's ability and God's provision. That's why it's so great that uh, verse 43 comes up right there in, in the middle of all of this. Verse 43 reads, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Verses 44 to 47 of chapter 12 describe a situation in which there was great sacrifice. And and again, with a family situation, There have been many women who have made great sacrifices to try to hold families together. We're living in a day and age not like that which most of us grew up in. My dad didn't make a lot of money, but my mom still didn't have to work out of the side of the home because what he did make was sufficient to take care of our needs. Now, it's really hard for a young family to have a home and for the woman not to also work. Many of them have to make that great sacrifice and be away from their children during those early years in order to have the income necessary to continue their families. They sacrificed, he tells us in verses 44 to 47, they sacrificed it greatly out of their pockets. Uh, Sometimes we, we tend to overlook the fact that the ties that we take up, that's the starting line. That's the base point. The offerings come beyond the tithe. Scripturally speaking, the tithe is always there for the ongoing ministry of the local group there. Whenever there was a greater need, what did Paul and what did the early group do? They took up special offerings so that they could help out the church in Jerusalem at one time. There were, there were sacrifices that had to be made. Verse 44 says, On that day were appo- men were appointed over the storerooms so that the contributions, the first fruits and the tithes, to gather them unto them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. 
they realized that there was there was a real sacrifice that had to be made in terms of of even their their pockets there were sacrifices that had to be made in terms of not only their their income and that but their time and their energy and their preferences one of the things that's pointed out in verse 30 was that the priests and Levites made a special effort to help them to purify themselves. To purify themselves. I know this is probably a soapbox. And maybe I shouldn't get on this soapbox. But I have heard things said from the, the pulpits in messages that I don't know if these young men understand the the derivation of some of these phrases, but I guarantee you that there were elderly women and men who remembered how those phrases came up and were appalled to hear that inside of a church building and congregation and gathering. The call for us to purify ourselves, not just as preachers behind pulpits, but purify ourselves as people. What are other people thinking when they see us doing different things and hearing us do different things? And then we say, oh yeah, I'm going to church Sunday. Would you like to go with me? I love to hear stories, and I've heard them. I love to hear stories about how some of the people of our congregation have been singled out by their co-workers and said, you're different. And it was because they didn't do and they didn't talk and they didn't behave like the others were doing. And that provided a witness. And that provided an example and, and power and impetus for them to share the message of Jesus Christ. Great sacrifice in terms of their giving, in terms of their purity. But then also, and this is my third point actually, there was this great sacrifice of of rejoicing that included, which I read there in verse 43, even the women and the children. Now, think about this and the fact that this was a patriarchal society. In fact, Women and children weren't doing things of leadership at all. And for the writer of Nehemiah to make sure that it's included here, that this worshiping of God and praising of God was also including the women and children is significant. And you know what? I love it. I love it. I have written, presented papers at the Stone Campbell movement. I love it when some of our godly women rise up and use the talents that God has given them to lead us in our Christian way of living. It was a time when there was great praise. What was the source of our praise, their praise? The source was God. Go back to chapter 8. We've already been there a long time ago. But in chapter 8, when the people first found the book of the law, the Torah, they cried. 
Man, we haven't had the Word of God. They cried. They, they stood there all day hearing the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy more than likely being read and, and explained in their presence. I'm so grateful that we don't have that going on here. But I can tell you, I preached at a congregation one time when if it got close to the time for the end of the service, one of the guys was looking at his watch, but he wasn't doing it like this. He was doing it like this. For fear that we would go beyond that magic point on the clock and they wouldn't get to the restaurant before some of the other groups got there. I know that because that got back to me from somebody else. I said, he wants to get out of here so they can be the first at the restaurant. These people stood all morning and all afternoon listening to five books that Jesse and I struggled at times to get through doing that as a part of our morning reading. Man, some of those intricate laws in Deuteronomy and numbers after numbers after numbers in the book of numbers the lists of names and when they heard that it says they wept and Nehemiah says to, said to them go your way go eat the fat and drink some sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. Don't be grieved. Celebrate because we found the Word of God. And we've been able to read it and listen to it. And then it says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that song. It and another song from reading Nehemiah this week and reading devotions have just been stuck in my head. But I, this one, okay, when the other one wasn't there, this one would pop in. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I just, it, it would go around and around and I'd have to shake my head a little bit to, to get going back to where I was at, get focused. There was great sacrifice. Great joy. The women and children led in that joy and praising. And you know what they were celebrating? The completion of the foundation. The wall. The protection. And how much more do we as a people of God need to celebrate the foundations that we have? The foundations as we heard from Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and, and Charles Spurgeon. The foundations of, of great mothers who have been there. My dad was pretty busy. He was a minister. But my dad was pretty busy. Gone a lot. My mother was always there. Always there. I knew I didn't have to worry about the fact that when I got up and got ready to go to school, when I went out the door, there'd be a brown paper bag there waiting for me to take with me. And I don't mean to make you sick, 
And I don't mean to make you think, oh wow, but there was not one, not two, but three peanut butter and mayonnaise, actually peanut butter and miracle whip sandwiches, a bag of chips, a little Mrs. Debbie's sweet thing of some kind, a piece of fruit usually, and then enough change for me to buy four of those little half pints of milk things. And it was there every day. I mean, I literally hated the days when my mom would say, well, we didn't have a loaf of bread, so here's money for your lunch. I didn't want to buy the school lunches. I loved that that my mom had prepared and provided. I loved the way my mom always, we had to pick up our things. She wouldn't pick up, but once they were picked up, she'd make the bed and clean our room. The laundry was done for us. I'm not really sure that I liked the fact that even my underwear were ironed and folded. I'm not sure that I really liked having a crease on my blue jeans where they were ironed with an iron. But I did like the fact that she was there providing that care. Mother's Day. A time when we, just like in Nehemiah's day, they remembered all of the hard sacrifices A day when we can remember all of the sacrifices that our mothers have gone through. But also a day of great joy. A day of of actually celebrating the completion of the wall for Nehemiah. A day of celebrating a life well lived. When my mother passed, I got the call in the middle of the night. And Jessie turned to me and she said, Are you okay? And I said, I'm better. I'm better because I know that my mom is no longer struggling having to wear the oxygen having to be helped in and out of bed and in and out of the the restroom and everything else I know that she is much better off do I miss her? oh absolutely but you know what I used to think my mom was weak I really did. Because everything that my dad said, everything that my dad wanted, was done. And I remember there being times when they would have a discussion and we wouldn't know what the discussion was about ever. They kept that separate as a husband and wife thing. But there'd be a discussion going on and I would hear my mom coming up the steps first and into the bedroom and boom, the door would close. I honestly didn't think my mom would live very long after my dad lost his life in the car wreck. I thought she would grieve herself to death. But she lived another decade. Because what I perceived as weakness was really the strength to be able to submit because she believed that as a godly wife her task was to submit to her husband. 
Sacrifices? Absolutely. Celebrations? More than can be imagined. But a life well lived. And many of you have had mothers just like that. I want to close with one more quotation. This one comes from a man who is well known in ministry. A man by the name of Billy Graham. Here's what Billy Graham said. The influence of a mother upon the lives of her children cannot be measured. They know and absorb her example and attitudes when it comes to questions of honesty, temperance, kindness, and industry. Sydney and I were talking this week, and I shared uh, those passages uh, with Cindy because I, I hear people all the time saying, well, God is the Father. Yeah, God is the Father, scripturally, and Jesus is the Son. But those passages talk about God as the mother hen who takes her chicks in under her arms. A motherly image. A motherly image. It's all right there. Right there for us in the Scriptures. That God wants to be that Father figure to us, but He also wants to see in Him the completeness of what it means to be human. Male and female brought together as one. Isn't that what Genesis says? The man leaves his father and the woman leaves her home. And the two, they don't just leave, they cleave. They become one. On Mother's Day, let's pray that the women of this day will rise up, not in protest, but will rise up in strength to once again make the home what the home should be. Will it involve sacrifice? Absolutely. But will it result in celebration and joy even more so? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today honoring our mothers. But also realizing that the story of motherhood is the story that was brought to us from Nehemiah. A story about sacrifice. Sacrifice that leads ultimately to rejoicing. And help us make those sacrifices necessary so that we too can one day rejoice greatly. And that in the midst of the trials and struggles and temptations, that rejoicing can even begin now as we live the abundant life that you have called us to live. And pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Our hymn of commitment this morning is uh, the song, The Light of the World is Jesus. And to be honest, I can't remember how many verses I chose, Cindy, but I think just two.